Hello and welcome to Season of the Bitch, the feminist podcast that, as always, encourages you to be gay and do crime. Today we have Kellen, Laura, Zoe, and Ozzy. And today we are talking about the Supreme Court. Um, so I assume everyone. Spoiler alert! Yeah, <laughs> assume everybody listening. Never is heard aware of it. That they struck down Roe v. Wade last week. Um, but unfortunately for all of us, that was not the only horrific ruling that was handed down this session, um, or really like this month. Um, so we're gonna kind of go through and talk about what the Supreme Court has been up to basically just in June and like why it matters. And it's worth noting that like this is not an exhaustive list that would literally take hours. Um, so it's just a series of highlights or maybe more accurately lowlights um, <laughs> from this session. And again, really, it's not even the whole session. It's literally like just the last month. Um, and it's also worth noting that as of this recording, we are still waiting to hear about rulings on other important issues, including the United States remain in Mexico policy and the breadth of the EPA's power to make climate change policy, um, as I'm sure we'll get into, uh, not feeling optimistic mystic about the way that those things are going to go um but yeah so oops sorry um why not kellen yeah but yeah uh great question zoe um because everything sucks and we're living in hell um (laughs) but everyone okay yeah everyone listening probably knows that already what they may not know is that we also have a guest with us today so yeah sean would you like to introduce yourself yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you all so much for having me on. I'm Sean. I use they or he pronouns. Um, I am originally from Buffalo, New York, which Ooh! is why I am so lucky to know Laura. Yeah, no, I'm the lucky one. <laughs> Aww. Very sweet. Um, but anyway, yeah, um, so I'm going into my third and final year of law school, thankfully. Oh my God. Okay. Shout out to us for being in our third and last year of grad school. I think Sean and I pretty much um, spearheaded the academic venting channel in the season of the bitch discord, <laughs> which you yes. can join at patreon.com slash season of the bitch. <laughs> that channel is incredibly necessary. I am so glad to have it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in law school, I primarily focus on issues relating to employment and relating to queer and trans people. Um, and I've spent my summers in between law school working at local legal aid organizations, helping low-income clients on issues related to their employment, so that's stuff like wage theft or getting fired for trying to take medical leave, that sort of stuff. Um, but I should add the necessary disclaimer that I am only speaking for myself and not on behalf of those organizations. Anyway, um, outside of that- <laughs> These tweets are mine and not the opinion of my employer. <laughs> exactly please do not fire me yes Um, so yeah outside of my work stuff um i love to cook especially gluten-free cooking because i have to um and also play soccer um and i admittedly had very gay activities i appreciate that i do my best yeah um and yeah i admittedly had to look this up before i was coming onto the pod and i apologize for that but i am a scorpio sun libra moon and aries rising Okay, wow. I love that. Oh my God, more than half. The majority of people on this call are Libra Moons right now. And are we okay? I would argue wow. no. 
Um, I'm a Libra so- rising, so. <laughs> and are you Same. okay? I'm also not okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have a Libra placement in my big three, but I do have Aries and Scorpio, so <laughs> with you. And are you okay, Laura? Mm, am I okay? TBD. Dep- TBD. <laughs> I had a really great day yesterday. <laughs> oh, well, that's really nice. Okay, brag. Happy brag. Laura's okay today. Fine. <laughs> I'm so sorry to say I I mean by the end of this episode who knows where, where I will be but um yeah amazing am I okay I have I have a Libra moon too so obviously I'm what 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 do you want to, am I okay no. um, well, I figured at this point we're just we're just doing a little round robin oh yeah. okay yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to leave anyone out <laughs> Oh man, um, Zoe! I know you had a um, a little something you wanted to read for us before we dove in I to talking about some Supreme Court cases. I do. Also, Sean, you're in law school, and so I didn't ask if you're okay because I know the answer. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is inherently no. Thank you for being here with us. And yes, I I will now read us a little. Um, excerpt that I just thought would would set the mood. This is from, um, it's called American Beasts, and this is section two of the passage. It's called The Twin Lies of Patriotism and the Cult of Things. We have fetishized our own origin story, holding up the fathers as bastions of democracy and progress. Their calcified words are held up as a holy document, the one guarantee of democracy, The alternative is to embrace uncertainty born of the reality that any system created by humans can and will be imperfect. We celebrate their revolution, but frown upon any and all revolutions that have since attempted to ignite a rebirth of government, branding them as criminals. We cling to our republic, never mind the fact that it is rotting from the inside out. Corporations and politicians preserve and amass power for its own sake, like maggots stripping a carcass until all that is left is bone. We have forgotten that we, the people, are the source and end of this power. And it is our minds, bodies, and labor that they engorge upon. We have embraced consumption and the means and end of life. We are not citizens standing together in community embracing democratic processes, but individuals content to focus on the minutiae of our own lives, desperately scrambling over one another in the hopes that maybe, just maybe, we too can be on top. We have embraced the capitalist creed that we are fundamentally selfish and it dictates all aspects of our lives and our relationships to one another. How pathetic that we embrace a system that looks down upon us and reminds us over and over that our basic impulses can barely be contained. It belies the falsehood of humanity's progress for if American institutions are dedicated to the pruning and weaponizing of self-interest, what progress can possibly be achieved? The time is ripe for a modern rebirth of government. We must embrace a new system that breaks free of capitalist hegemony. We can no longer shrug off the brutality and alienation of capitalism or despair for a better future. Let us look to a new form of social organization born of the utter dissolution of America. I think that sets the mood very nicely. (laughs) Mic drop. Thank you very much. (laughs) Oh, my God. Is that from the book of manifestos? Yes, this is. It was from Burn It Down, Feminist Manifestos for the Revolution, which I think maybe all if 
not most of the co-hosts. Um. Kellen got it for me for my birthday one year. It was amazing. My 30th birthday. My mom got it for me for Hanukkah a couple years ago. Hell well, yeah. Uh, I love how strong all of our brands are. Yeah. That's like <laughs> so good. Um, so yeah, so now we're going to talk about some of the cases the Supreme Court has ruled on in the last month. It's like no particular order. Um, we, as established, have a lawyer in training here to give us some context for the rulings, which will be, I think, very helpful. So um, let's get started with uh, Carson v. Macon. It might also be Carson v. Mackin. I'm not totally sure how to pronounce this person's name. But anyway, Carson v. Mackin. Macon. <laughs> Mackin. <laughs> Megan. Anyway, please, Sean, take it away. <laughs> yes, I also have no idea how to pronounce the name. Perfect. Um, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, this case to give a little bit of background, Maine has several school districts that don't have their own high schools because they're like rural and secluded and also underfunded. Um, and so in those areas, the parents of the students will get a tuition voucher um, and they can choose where to send their kids with that tuition voucher. Um, up until this case, that voucher was able to be used at public or at private schools, as long as the schools weren't going to use the funding from the voucher for religious instruction. Um, and the Supreme Court just struck that down as discrimination against religion. Yeah, I also wanted to ask because I heard that Maine has now changed the law so that vouchers can't be used at schools that, quote, discriminate against LGBTQ plus students. Um, so I was just wondering if you have any idea if like, do people think this new law will also be challenged and like how likely is this new version to hold up based on this ruling? Yeah, so that was an update to the state's existing non-discrimination law to make sure that that non-discrimination law explicitly prohibited the anti-LGBT discrimination in education. Um, it absolutely will be challenged. I have pretty much no doubt that the same people who challenged these proceeding restrictions on funding will do it here too. Um, and right. it'll set up a conflict um, from the court's perspective between quote unquote religious freedom and freedom from discrimination for queer kids. I don't, it's hard to say how it'll go. Um, well, this was already kind of an unprecedented expansion of totally. the conservative conception of religious freedom. So it's really hard to say how much further they will go than this, but I am just generally not optimistic about the court, broadly speaking, and you could probably just copy and paste that and play it for the rest of the episode. <laughs> no, right? Like, how could you be? Um, yeah, this is bonkers to me. Like, as we've discussed, press your bingo card. I grew up Catholic. Um, I mention it way, way too much, but I had to go to a Catholic school for part of you my- You mention it just enough. Thank you. Amount. Well- you know, <laughs> shout out Father Jim. Okay, just kidding. Um, But yeah, this is bonkers to me. I mean, like, I understand in rural areas there are limited options, but to have the only options within these regions be a religious one is really, really scary to me. Um, it seems to erode the already essentially non-existent philosophy of the separation of church and state. Which obviously has not been something the United States really has carried through its existence. Um, 
Obviously, we see the ways in which religion enters many things um, in U.S. government. Um, But this also creates even more of a public school problem than we already have. So if you didn't know, this law was already in effect where parents could take their public school voucher um, and go to a charter or public school, which inherently takes funding away. Charter or private school. Sorry, th- thank you. Charter Just or funding. private school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which inherently takes funding away from public schools and puts it into the private sector. So expanding this to include religious schools is really something. <laughs> Our public schools are already struggling completely. Teachers are making the bare minimum while spending money out of their own pockets for supplies and while being a counselor for their students, for the violence taking place in schools, and being on the front lines of the defense of gun violence, which is a whole another topic that we'll be getting into in a little bit. Um, but of course, our country is just like, yeah, let's just take that system and strain it further. Yeah, I think that we can't understand this ruling without thinking about it in the context that Laura was kind of hinting at of the sort of attempts to privatize the school system in the United States. That's obviously been a conservative end goal for quite some time. And I think this is a big step in that direction because not only does it break down the separation between church and state, but it also greatly expands what like vouchers can be able to do um, for Uh, parents and students. So yeah, just a a mess on a lot of levels. Um, And I also wanted to just add that, you know, as we were doing our research for this episode, a lot of it was um, on stuff that had happened leading up to the Roe case um, or the Dobbs case that overruled Roe. But just about two hours ago, we're recording on Monday, um, just about two hours ago, the Supreme Court dropped another ruling on public schools and religion that I wanted to briefly address here as well. Um, For those of you keeping track at home, that case is Kennedy v. Bremerton School District, and it was decided with a 6-3 split. And the main takeaway of Justice Gorsuch's majority opinion is that public school employees now have a constitutional right to lead students in prayer. Holy Um, shit. Yeah. So this was a case that was brought by um, a football coach that got fired because he wouldn't stop praying with (laughs) the football team. Um, And they were like, no, actually. Clear eyes, full hearts, praise Jesus, can't lose. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, what is there to say about this? Obviously, it's another blow to the separation of church and state. Um, The court had previously held that publicly leading students in a denominational prayer would make it seem that the school and, by extension, the government um, was endorsing a specific religion, uh, which is sensible. You know, that is a a reasonable thing to assume. Um, But this is another example of the current iteration of the court undermining decades of established jurisprudence. Um, And obviously, like everybody listening to this pod knows that laws are fake, not that laws and jurisprudence is like exactly the same thing but like generally people on the court charged with or people in in the government i should say charged with evaluating and applying laws like at least like to pretend that they're real and like this supreme court to to kind of echo some of what sean's been saying is generally just like taking what i feel like we could have referred to as the fuck it approach in which they just do like whatever the fuck they want and come up with some kind of like legal justification afterwards and like that has always happened to some extent i think especially on the part of conservative justices but i think we're just entering like a fully mask off era where they're like this actually doesn't have to maintain any semblance of like internal coherence um 
we're just going to do what we want. And like, here's the, the legal structure that we're going to kind of use, I guess. Don't look at it too closely because it'll fall apart, but it doesn't actually matter because we're the ones with power. Yeah, absolutely. I think also like you and Laura have both been saying, like the thing that is most concerning about this to me is the move towards like increasing privatization of public schools because Mm -hmm. like so many of the protections that students and teachers have right now are based on the fact that it's like a public government funded institution, like things like access to accessible education, like accommodations for disabled students. Um, non-discrimination against queer students like all of those things are based on the fact that it's a public school um and so i think it is really concerning to see this just like move towards here's a way where it's like kind of okay like you might not be guaranteed to a religion free education or like a whatever being able to observe whatever religion you want within your education that right might not be as guaranteed as we thought it was previously um that I think just is like opening the door to a lot of other things that we take as like pretty established in education um, being a little bit more like up for debate. And that's with both of these rulings, I think like part of what's very scary about it to me is this like just move away from like the few non-discrimination protections that we've already had basically. Yeah, absolutely. It's not not good. Um, so I think the next one we wanted to talk about was United States v. Washington. Yeah. Uh, so U.S. v. Washington, um, background on this one, the federal government um, for decades had a nuclear weapons facility in Washington, a massive facility. Like, um, I think it was like between five and 600 square miles of land. So oh like, my God. not just a little place. Um But yeah, so obviously they made a mess of this facility and it needed a cleanup. Um, So the cleanup workers for this were a bunch of government contractors for different companies, and they were not adequately protected from all of the various toxins that the government released into this facility. The nuclear Um, waste. (laughs) Yes, the nuclear waste. Um, And so they uh, were much more likely to get various diseases, including cancer, And the contractors that were in charge of this kept either bad records or no records of what the substances the workers were actually exposed to were. So like they don't know exactly what they were exposed to. They just know that it got them sick. But that makes it very difficult for those workers to establish some sort of direct link between their disease and their cleanup work. Um, And so to respond to that and to give these workers an opportunity to get compensation for the harm that they suffered working on the site, Washington passed a law that sort of just shifted the burden of proof on these and required employers at the sites, these government contractors, to prove that they didn't cause the diseases that the workers were suffering from. Um, And the Supreme Court struck that down uh, nine to zero unanimously. Um, They struck down that Washington law um, because it discriminated against the federal government because it was only applied to federal contractors. I love that the entire U.S. project is like a critique of the British federal government and all of it. And then it's like, you can't discriminate against us, though. Yeah, I just like wanted to include this case because it's just, I mean, incredibly fucked up. 
And also a huge fuck you to workers in general. And I think one of the most striking things about this case is, as Sean pointed out, it was a unanimous decision against workers. Like, this is class solidarity in action. And I also wanted to note that this came out close to the same time that Sotomayor made those comments that people may have seen on Twitter about how, like, Clarence Thomas was a good dude who, quote unquote, cares about people, which, like, no, not how I would describe him, like, (laughs) rapist enemy of the pod those would be my first thoughts but like i don't know him personally so i mean i think your understanding is is absolutely perfect we're not revitalizing these people we're not doing (laughs) it um i felt that this was the time to admit that my dad actually did know clarence thomas personally as a teenager (laughs) oh my god um they from running track and (laughs) Um, my dad hated him to be clear. So, um, enemy of my father, enemy of the pod. Fuck yeah. you, Clarence Thomas. I feel like your dad was really like on the cutting edge of that one. Like everyone hates Clarence Thomas now, but your dad really got there first. He Honestly, hated Clarence yeah. Thomas before it was cool. Mm. He only told me about this like a couple of years ago. Like it, I don't even remember how it came up, and I was like, why did you never mention that? And he was like, why would I want people to know that? That's so funny. <laughs> Yeah. He's like, I wouldn't say I'm proud of this. I <laughs> no, also- he should brag about being like, you know, cutting edge, cutting edge Clarence Thomas hater. Exactly. On the subject of hating versus not hating Clarence Thomas and the Sotomayor comments, I also just re- just realized like she said that shit like a couple of weeks ago. She would have known that the the okay, yeah, Sean is giving me the nod, the lawyer nod. She would have known that this, we're gonna talk about it later, <laughs> that the fucking thomas um opinion the concurring opinion on the dobbs Mm. case where he's like uh let's go after all these fucking things next but curiously not loving the virginia don't ask questions it's definitely not because i'm married to a white woman anyway whatever (laughs) um like to say all of that knowing that this man is like fucking gunning for the rights of literally the majority of americans like bold move sonia um Anyway, I do want to just quickly say that there is a precedent for um, companies, whether they have federal contracts or whether they're privatized, but through like, you know, federal, they're federally operated or whatever. There's a ton of things where people get cancer specifically from environmental disasters that isn't compensated for because of the of the ways that Sean was describing. But anyway, yes, I know we're moving on to a next one. Oh, my gosh. So exciting. Yeah. The next one is Shoop v. Twyford. Yes. Um, So summary on this one. This is a death penalty case, which this court is like notoriously bad on, even compared to other stuff. Um, So Twyford um, was the guy in this case who was sentenced to death in Ohio state court for a, sorry, to be clear, a state court in Ohio, not Ohio state court. Um, Great that, distinction. I'm trying to imagine what Ohio State Court would be like, but anyway, that's getting on track. Um, so yeah, uh, Twyford um, was sentenced to death for a murder conviction, um, and he, uh, when he was younger, before this, he had a really serious head injury. Um, he'd been shot in the head, um, and there was a possibility that the effects of that gunshot would have mitigated his sentence by explaining his behavior one way or another Mm. um and at his trial the trial lawyer didn't present that evidence um 
So he, after trial, petitioned the state court to reconsider based on that. State court just tossed it. Um, so then he petitioned the federal government to let him get a medical examination that would show if there was something to his theory about him being shot in the head affecting his future behavior. And the Supreme Court said, no, he could not get that medical examination. Um, of essentially, course they did. <laughs> their basis for that was essentially that he had already tried making a claim based on the head injury in state court. And so even if they found, like, additional evidence, it would not be admissible in federal court because the argument had already been made and rejected. Um, and so this case really emphasizes to me the court's investments in finality, quote unquote, and in efficiently executing people, which is what they really mean by that. Um, but that's really not just a Supreme Court problem. Um, the statute in this case, like the law that's kind of the backdrop for it, is the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996 which was passed like with the explicit purpose of limiting appeals of criminal convictions. Um, and that bill that passed both chambers of Congress, including 91 to eight in the Senate. Um, so plenty of democratic support there. It was signed by President Bill Clinton. Um, and it was also supported by then Senator Joe Biden. And for what it's worth, opposed by then Representative Bernie Sanders. I just wanted to say, I heard the, the phrase anti-terrorism and effective death penalty act of 1996. It was like, this has Joe Biden written all Literally. over Literally. <laughs> like, I can see where this is going. Enemy oh, of the pod, that. Joe Biden. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is so fucked up. Um, I just was curious if it like meant anything significant for the death penalty going forward or or what it really meant beyond yeah, well, what you already described i guess the immediate consequences are that this guy is going to be executed um, right. so like that is always worth keeping in mind in these cases that there is a person who is dying because of what the supreme court is doing here right um but beyond that as far as i can tell this seems to be a fairly narrow ruling because these are a fairly unique set of facts as i understand them but it is kind of more broadly emblematic of the court's attitude toward death penalty cases. And in pretty much every future case where there is the state against a person who has been sentenced to death, I would expect this court to rule on the side of the state, regardless of whatever specific issue is being presented to them. That's just kind of how this court works. Yeah. 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 As you, sorry, go ahead. I guess Ozzie. I just wanted to say also, I feel like, this is already like a pretty big issue in the law in general where like courts kind of tend to like when an issue like this comes up it's like they get worried about opening the window to like everybody mm -hmm. challenging their conviction or sentence or whatever it is as um, if that's actually a bad thing but yeah right exactly i mean it's like one of those things where it's like the weight is already kind of on that side at yeah. least like that has always sort of been my feeling about it from like when i was doing legal reporting i feel like it already feels so hard for someone who is in jail or has been sentenced to death to challenge it and the fact that it's getting even more towards that direction because i mean i think the supreme court is like one of the few cases where sometimes that's not true and sometimes they'll be like oh actually you do have these rights like miranda rights that we like didn't which we'll get to in a little bit but um yeah i just think it's it's definitely very concerning to see like people who are incarcerated or sentenced to death like their rights being curtailed even more yeah absolutely oh um 
So our next case is New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin. Background on this one. So since 1911, over 100 years ago, uh, New York State has required, quote, proper cause to get a permit to carry a concealed pistol in public. And the Supreme Court just struck this down um, because functionally they changed the legal test for whether or not a firearm restriction is permissible. And according to their new test, the government can only regulate guns if the regulation is, quote, consistent with this nation's historical tradition of firearm regulation, which it's decided this New York state law is not, despite being on the books for over 100 years. (laughs) Right. It's just absolutely mind-blowing. But yeah, like you were saying, like, I love this law. It literally strikes down 100 in 10 year old law that was like mm, it's not really good to carry handguns outside of the home um and like this is a pretty serious ruling because it sets a precedent that makes it even harder for lawmakers to meaningfully address the epidemic of gun violence in this country um there's like to to do this at a time like right now is honestly wild to me but nothing i guess nothing can really surprise me at this point um two things come to mind for this one one like can i i'll fucking say it the constitution is fucked up like i don't give a fuck hot take her here first (laughs) (laughs) i don't give a fuck about the founding fathers Because guess what? That whole thing was built on white supremacy and patriarchy and colonialism. But like that aside, the Second Amendment could not have possibly been about what conservatives claim it's about now. But obviously, it's not just conservatives. It's also with the justices who are supposedly creating an unbiased and fair understanding of the law. Um, It's hard to talk about any of these things when it's truly so unhinged in backwards. Yeah, there's a, obviously just a lot going on with this ruling. Um, so the law that was struck down in New York, I will say, like, has long been used primarily to police br- black, brown and poor communities. And obviously, that's a problem. Um, and so it's not like it was like, you know, this like flawless sterling beacon of of law to begin with in that sense um and a lot of gun control measures as we have discussed are are extremely punitive punitive are targeted at people who are already oppressed like as opposed to like 18 year old white supremacists who somehow have the funds to drop 3k on automatic weapons and ammo before like hate criming somebody four hours from where they actually live so like that's bad clearly and the way that this particular law was enforced was also not great, but like the government should, I think, be allowed to regulate the sale of killing machines. Um, I think especially on the supplier side, like that's very important. And so one of the things I wanted to ask, because obviously this has huge ramifications for any kind of gun control measures, I wanted to ask you, Sean, do you have a sense of like, does this affect the ability to regulate gun manufacturers or is it just people carrying guns? Yeah, I should add the disclaimer that I am not like a Second Amendment expert. This is not an area that I've studied a ton. Um, But my understanding of this, at least, is that the right in question in this case is about an individual's right to carry weapons. So I think that would only be relevant in the context of a manufacturer if whatever regulation on that manufacturer was strict enough that individuals would no longer be able to get guns. But as we've 
kind of talked about already, it's important to remember that the conservative court is just making things up as they go. <laughs> and it's really, there's only so much value in looking at the nominal limitations of these rulings because they kind of give us an idea of the direction of the court and what sorts of things they are opposed to or supporting, even if it's not explicit within the text of a ruling. Yeah. Okay. That's super helpful. And and just like the reminder that the Supreme Court is going to do whatever the fuck it wants is a good one. Um, like, even if the ruling doesn't affect, like, the manufacturer side explicitly, that, uh, that may be an indication of where we're going. Um, and even just this ruling itself, without looking at that, like, the manufacturer stuff is pretty disastrous in terms of any kinds of limitations on the second amendment like laura was saying like it's pretty much just like a fucking free-for-all when it comes to guns um at this point and the last thing that i was thinking about um you know thinking through this particular case is that it's going to be interesting to see how states respond to it like what happens if new york tries to enforce these kinds of laws anyway like I think it's really on the Second Amendment issue and the abortion issue that we're most likely to see some kind of like nullification effort on the state level. Like where, when I think, at what point do state level officials sort of decide this Supreme Court is like fucking illegitimate. We're just actually not going to listen to its rulings. I don't know, but I think it, I think there's a good chance it'll be on the second amendment or abortion. I have no idea if anybody else has any thoughts on, on that. I mean, I, I hope so. I yeah. also am just like, everyone's a coward. So who knows? Yeah. I think, so I think something that would be useful to everyone's do actually, as I'm, die. what'd you say? That wasn't helpful. You go on, Kellen. Oh. <laughs> what I said was everyone's a coward and we're all going to die, but oh. I would much rather hear what you were going to say. Oh, I was going to say, I think, productive. Should, <laughs> I think we should do an episode and I'd be happy to lead this on like the 1850s and the fugitive slave law and the way that state level um, governments basically were like saying fuck you to federal law, saying fuck you to the Supreme Court, like later on in the 1850s, um, and thinking through what like lessons we could learn from that experience, which was like uh, one of the major times that like the states have come into direct conflict with the Supreme Court and like what, how that those lessons might be applicable to today. But that's another episode. Um, I would love Doctor of History coming of early American history. Let's go. (laughs) Anyway. Okay, next up we have Garland v. Alamon Gonzalez slash Johnson v. Ortega Martinez. Um, Take it away, Sean. (laughs) Yeah, so these are two cases we'll talk about together, I think. Um, The Johnson case, um, the plaintiff there, or the the relevant individual in the case, um, entered the U.S. without documentation, was arrested a long time later, several years later, as I understand it, and was ordered to be deported. Um, But he sought to withhold deportation or put that off um, because he feared torture or persecution if he returned to Mexico. Uh, He was from Mexico originally. Um, But he had at one point previously when he was in Mexico been beaten up by a gang. Um, And so based on that, um, the asylum officer in the U.S. who interviewed him found that he had a reasonable fear of persecution or torture. And that was in 2018. 
Um, and he was supposed to get a full hearing on that afterward to determine if that asylum officer's determination was correct. Um, but the government just kind of continued to keep him locked up without giving him that hearing. Um, so he petitioned them for a bond hearing that would just like determine if he could be free until his actual hearing. Um, and in this case, the Supreme Court said, no, they don't have to give him that bond hearing. They could just continue to detain him. And this opinion was written by Sonia Sotomayor. Oh! Jesus. Um, so then, terrifying. Sorry, please continue. <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, the Garland case, uh, which is just kind of a companion here. Um, so that was a very similar issue, but this was a class action case. So it was a case that was brought on behalf of a lot of people who are being held in immigration detention um, in similar situations. Um, and the Supreme Court said here that you can't do that. You can't bring a class action under the Immigration and Nationality Act, which is what they were trying to do. Um, so, yeah, these are both really just examples of the court using procedural rules to prevent people from effectively addressing the government mistreating them, which is really the same as Twyford, the death penalty case we talked about before. Yeah. yeah and just to say, I think this is another area definitely where courts tend to be much more conservative in general and like, oh, we don't want to open the door to like a lot of immigrants being able to challenge the way that we're treating them. Um, and so, yeah, just I think it's another case where like seeing things going even further that direction is especially scary because immigrant detainees already have so few rights to begin with. Yeah. And I would just add that, like, I think this is another sort of case where it is easiest to, like, do terrible things to people that are not citizens of the country, basically. But opening the door for those kinds of, um, you know, violations of basic human rights makes it easier to do those things to citizens of the country. So this is... Um, obviously ramping up the carceral capacity of the state, withholding bond hearings, basically making it legal to hold someone indefinitely um, while simultaneously undermining any accountability that the government might face for doing so. So I think these are really important, obviously, for people who are either asylum seekers or are in the country illegally, which is obviously a stupid framing to begin with. But um, I think it doesn't portend well for just like the state of like the carceral system in America to begin like on any level really and then I think our last case before we go a bit into um <laughs> I don't know if you guys have been thinking about abortion lately um <laughs> before we get into the big one is um Vega Viteco if I'm saying that correctly Ooh. no idea um <laughs> but this case uh, was about a cop who was investigating an alleged crime. He interviewed a suspect in that uh, case and did not read that suspect as Miranda rights. Um, so if you've watched some sort of like cop procedural on TV or whatever, um, that's the warning that you hear there when a cop is interviewing someone. It's like your right to remain silent, right to an attorney, that sort of stuff. So the cop did not read that uh, suspect as rights um, and the suspect's statements after being interviewed by this cop who hadn't read him as rights were then used against him in a criminal trial. That is a big no. You cannot do that. He was found not guilty still, despite those statements being used. Um, and then he he sued the cop who had questioned him for doing that without reading him his rights. Um, and the Supreme Court held that you cannot sue a cop for that. So 
this is a terrible decision, but I want to make sure it's perfectly clear that you do still have Miranda rights. You still have a right to a lawyer, at least nominally, nominally, and a right to not talk to cops. Do not talk to cops. Get a lawyer if you need one. Do not talk to cops. (laughs) (laughs) A great, like, general rule of life. Um, Yeah, thank you for explaining that, Sean. I totally didn't realize at first that this case was specifically about suing a cop for this. So I guess I just wanted to clarify, like, it sounds like this didn't impact the part of the law where, like, if you're not read your Miranda rights, then things that you say might not be admissible in court, right? Because, like... That, it sounds like that wasn't necessarily impacted. Yes, at least okay. for now, and at least nominally, that is correct. Right, I, like, even I though it wasn't correct for him. And will be used against you in a court of law. Exactly. I watch television. <laughs> yeah, I watch television. Yeah. I mean, I just, part of the reason I ask about this is, because, I mean, not to say that, obviously, I think there could be an even worse decision soon. Like, you know, fingers crossed that doesn't happen. But I was also just thinking about this case a while ago where the court basically was like the Supreme court ruled that you don't your right to an attorney can like, you have to like ask for your attorney. And there was this person who said like, I want my lawyer dog, like, just like, I want my lawyer dog, you know, like bro, like they were just like adding a word to the end of the sentence. And the state argued that they didn't have, they, it was like proper that they didn't understand that he was asking for his lawyer because he said they were like, What's a lawyer dog? I don't know what a lawyer dog is. I don't know what that is. Like, we don't have to give him a lawyer. And this is an Airbus situation. "Mm." Yeah, exactly. They they literally were like, like, he could have been asking for a, like, an attorney that is also uh, a golden retriever. Oh, maybe. Like, I would be like, I would like my lawyer, my dog, and my cat, please. (laughs) Yeah. All three separate entities immediately. (laughs) Exactly. yeah but yeah so that's and that was a case where the supreme court was like yeah you don't have to give someone their attorney if you have like this made-up reason why you claim to not understand what they were asking for um so this is definitely another case where it's like things are already so bad and like not i don't know but it's it's good to know at least that like for now it and this obviously relies on like you and or your attorney being able to figure this out but like you can still object to um something that you said if you weren't registered Miranda rights being used in court so i guess that's just good to know at this moment at least i just want to say if anybody wants to read more about the lawyer dog case it was a 2017 um case in the louisiana state courts um and uh you can read more about that in the online it is a on the online on the the internet.com it is a horrifying horrifying case and the judge who decided that a lawyer dog uh was not a thing um has a terrible mustache so Mm. thought that is worth throwing out there yeah and so just to echo what sean was saying earlier too like the the police state is already a militarized above the law organizational structure we already see the intense violence that the police state carries out whether it be murdering black people in the streets or ice entering homes without need of a warrant anywhere within 100 miles of the U.S. border. Spoiler alert, that includes the majority of the U.S. population. So this would make it so you can't sue a cop who didn't even tell you your rights. Um, You know, but like, yeah, just to hammer it home, don't talk to cops ever. Just don't talk to them. 
Even if they're your uncle, fuck your uncle. Literally. <laughs> no, I mean, don't literally fuck your uncle. Ew. Oh, <laughs> oh well, my God. yeah. Please don't have sex with your uncle. <laughs> oh, Especially if he's a cop, but really, regardless. Begging you not to have sex with your cop uncle. Begging you. Um, so, yeah. Obviously, there was also the Dobbs case, but we're not going to get into it a lot. What I will say is we already have. Um, and, so much. But, and we've also just talked about a lot of different pieces of this, and I wanted to give you those episode numbers and names because we've been doing it for a long time. So we're going in reverse order. Last week, we did episode 226, The History of Abortion. Right before that, we did Abortion and Mental Health for 225. Episode 222 was Marxist Feminism and Bodily Autonomy. 191 was Aboard the Supreme Court. You love to see it. Um, Episode 176 was Abortion Care. Episode 155 was Abortion Access. Episode 143 is the Extremely Fucked Up History of Gynecology, which I feel like is also prescient. Um, episode 51, the fucking Supreme Court original. And I thought also it might be nice to re-listen to episode 49, which is Ireland's abortion wins, because I think thinking about the solidarity pieces that they had at that time can help us kind of moving forward as well. Yeah. And it's come up, come up on a lot of our other like U.S. history episodes as it relates to the history of United States uh, politics, right. mm. yeah, yes, yeah, the, exactly. Even the Reagan one, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. All, all of it. We we've talked about it uh, a lot, a lot yeah. as it deserves. I mean, listen, this is a socialist we're so feminist tired. podcast. <laughs> we're gonna talk about abortion. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was thinking, since we did, especially episode one ninety one, abort the Supreme Court, we really talked in detail about like the. Uh, like draft ruling that came out but Mm. I was thinking maybe we could talk a little bit more about like how and why the Roe ruling now that it's come out might impact some of these other privacy related cases um, like Griswold, Obergefell, Lawrence v. Texas, um, some of these other like right to privacy around sexuality, birth control, queerness, etc. So glad, so glad that you brought this to the table. Um, Yeah, so uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, enemy of the pod, as previously discussed, uh, in his concurring opinion overturning Roe v. Wade, said that the same rationale that the Supreme Court used to declare there was no right to abortion should also, should, should also be used to overturn cases establishing rights to contraception, same-sex consensual relations, and same-sex marriage. So this is all related to the quote-unquote due process clause of the 14th Amendment, which incredible Sean is going to explain. Thank you so much, future badass lawyer. Yes, um, you're welcome. Um, the 14th Amendment um, prevents the government from taking away your, quote, life, liberty, or property without, quote, due process of law. And so there's a procedural side of that where if the government wants to, like, imprison you or take away your stuff, they have to go through the, what they would consider the proper legal channels to do that. Um, but there is also a substantive side, or at least up until now, there has been a substantive side. 
Um, and that's called substantive due process, where there are some rights, like the things that you were just discussing, Laura, that the court has determined are so fundamental to those ideas of life, liberty, well, and property, I guess, but mostly life and liberty, um, that they are also protected. Fucking hell. Thank you for that. Um, so keeping that in mind, looking at the other rulings that would be affected by the same reasoning that was used to overturn Roe, um, Clarence, big loser Energy Thomas, suggested three other land... Got him! Roasted. Roasted the filth. Um, the three other landmark cases that should be overturned are Griswold v. Connecticut, which is a 1965 decision that declared married couples had a right to contraception. You ever heard of it? Um, Lawrence v. Texas, a 2003 case invalidating sodomy laws, um, and making same-sex sexual activity legal across the country. So, you know, same-sex, consensual sex being illegal and obergefell v hodges the 2015 case establishing the right of gay couples to marry so to clarify if the country does what it does which is continue to descend into the ninth circle of hell consensual gay sex could be criminalized as well as the right to gay marriage and the ability to get birth control and as a reminder for some of us um you know, birth control is essential in so, so, so many ways, not only imperative to our ability not to get pregnant, but if you're like me, birth control is also life-saving medicine for chronic illnesses such as endometriosis. Yeah, um, I also just wanted to give another shout out for birth control and abortion that were huge. You know, the cases Laura's mentioning were right around second wave feminism or what we refer to as and um that was really huge in giving people with uteruses the ability to pursue education and, um, you know, have careers and not be forced into marriages, just to name a few. So the rollbacks have like a really big snowball effect into people's lives and particularly for low income communities, like the lack of access to contraceptives and lack of related education around that is a really big way that the cycle of poverty is perpetuated. And that's intentional, of course, by the U.S. government. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I also just want to make a quick comment here about Lawrence v. Texas, which is the sodomy law. Um, It is, as Laura suggested, like very important, like in the context of queer sex, but it actually doesn't just apply to gay people. Um, The sodomy law uh, well, the sodomy law that was um, overruled in Texas, first of all, is still on the books. It hasn't been taken off the books. If um, Lawrence v. Texas is overturned, uh, then people like that law immediately goes back into effect, first of all. Secondly, it looks not just at literally anal sex, but also oral sex is considered um improper it's basically any kind of like improper sexual relations um and generally that is understood to be a man a woman cis on both ends um having procreative sex within a marriage um and so people who aren't queer who just like i don't know blowjobs like that is also literally outlawed by the the rules such as the ones in Lawrence v. Texas. Um, It's just that it's going to be used to go after queer people, but it doesn't have to stop there. Um, Anybody in any kind of like sexually deviant activity, which again includes potentially just like 
a blowjob outside marriage, like that can become illegal too. And so, well, I mean, a blowjob also within marriage is illegal, just to be clear. Doesn't matter whether you're married. Um, so all of that to say, like, this is actually a huge, like, really big step that I think people understand primarily in the context of queer sex, which again is how it should be understood primarily, but it it also affects other people. It also has the capability to bring us closer to sort of a theocratic right-wing um, uh, regime that enforces- Oligarchy. <laughs> yeah, that enforces um, sexual behavior, not just a, like a heterosexual sexual behavior, but heterosexual sexual behavior confined to a marriage. Um, and I think that's really important. The other thing I wanted to talk about briefly when we're considering Clarence Thomas's um, uh, opinion um, that he wrote conferring with the majority, it is really, this is just a little note. It's funny that he didn't bring up Loving v. Virginia, which is jurisprudentially, that's not a word, but is on the same line of jurisprudence. Sean, tell us the word. Is there a word for that? jurisprudentially well, they, jurisprudentially is it. a word yeah, yeah, yeah. oh hell yeah so. okay jurisprudentially <laughs> is like, they unmuted so i knew it was coming <laughs> jurisprudentially is like on the exact same branch of the tree as all of these other things and in case you don't know what loving v virginia is that's the right to interracial marriage um which clarence thomas happens to be in right now and i just want to say fuck you clarence thomas and you're joking yourself if you think that these people are going to be like oh no but clarence has a right to be married to Ginny. like first of all fuck Ginny thomas but secondly like it's coming for you too it is great to be a handmaiden for fascism as a person of an oppressed class until fascism comes for you and what you love so my only consolation all of this is like if we're going down if the ship is like sinking we're all gonna burn like clarence thomas is gonna burn right along with with us Hell yeah. as is fucking what's her amy coney barrett like y'all are getting fucked by this too anyway um could be good to conclude by just talking about some of the shitty takes we've been seeing about all of this exactly <laughs> time to <laughs> roast some libs baby we love to roast libs <laughs> you gotta end on a on a positive you know I, I guess, uh, and you know, all, thinking about Clarence Thomas burning in hell is also a positive. Exactly. But we've got some more positives. That's so true. Um, but yeah, I guess I just wanted to take a moment to talk about some of the discourse that I've been seeing over the past several days. Um, there's <laughs> been so much it. of it. I don't know if for anyone who's on Twitter, it's definitely just one of those times where it's like everything on Twitter is about this. Yes. And like you literally can't find any tweets that are not. But I think two specific takes that I've seen that I wanted to call out are one the idea that like women and or everyone with a uterus or who can give birth should do like a sex strike and two that like men should be forced to get vasectomies now or like states should just start giving vasectomies to anyone with a penis um I mean first of all it's just very like bioessentialist mm -hmm. right like I saw someone tweeted I think like this morning or yesterday like 
oh, the worst like abortion allies are gay men because they don't even have to live with the fear that they might get someone pregnant. And my friend who's a gay trans man just tweeted like, hey, if any gay men want to like become more empathetic to the cause, feel free to hit me up. Um, (laughs) So so it's just like, you know, it's very like ignoring how like actual sex and actual Mm -hmm. people's lives work. Um, But I think for the sex strike thing specifically, something I've seen a lot of people saying that I agree with is like, Many women and people who can give birth say no to sex all the time or Mm -hmm. say that they want to use protection and their partners ignore them or don't listen or argue and like talk them into it. So I just feel like it's really ignoring the ways that like sexual violence and pregnancy are tied or like sexual violence and unsafe sex practices can be tied together. Um, The vasectomy thing, in addition to being like kind of shitty towards trans women and trans femmes is like states already do force men to get vasectomies Mm -hmm. all the time they're men who are incarcerated or Mm -hmm. facing some type of like like they're in like a family court situation or something and judges will say like oh you can like go to jail or you can have a vasectomy um like this is an option that will be presented to people and that is also terrible like everyone should have the right to bodily autonomy I think this like I understand the impulse that a lot of people are having, especially like straight cis women right now, that it's just like straight men feel like the main enemy and that's what they're thinking about. But I just think we need to be really careful that this isn't like, there doesn't need to be like an eye for an eye thing. We should be moving towards a place where everybody has like full autonomy over their bodies and courts are not allowed to tell anybody that they should have or not have the form of birth control that they want. Yeah. Um, I will say um, a a better option of something you could do um, than a sex strike is a great idea that my friend was talking about. And um, she is a, a queer cis woman and she was talking about requiring um, of the cis men that she hooks up with to present a receipt of donating to an abortion fund before she will hook up with them. And I support that for her. That's funny. <laughs> I, I had that. a, in a group chat, a cis gay man who is in a monogamous relationship with another cis gay man tell everybody in the chat with a uterus that we should just go on sex strike and I was like oh um very convenient suggestion for you (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah well I mean the whole concept of a sex strike it's acting like women don't enjoy sex and that right it's literally it is literally what the GOP is trying to tell people to do like don't if you don't want like if you don't want right, if you don't exactly. want to have a kid don't fucking have sex yes. like you're literally parroting the republican line about why and how abortions happen in the first place which is so fucking stupid so like don't do it like don't do it yeah no that's that is a great point um i think we're coming up on time the last one i just wanted to close this out with is like a real classic but just everyone who's like vote and or donate to the democrats even though the democrats literally control every house Everything. of government right now like i just don't understand like what, what it's are like, we, we donating for what are we donating like, we for what are they gonna What's do the point? also um, yeah we already did the voting and guess what we're fucking here yeah I do we, think yeah. um so so Kellen um did write a, a canvassing poem for the Dems and yeah. I think they should share it. 
Okay, so this was in response to the fact that when Nancy Pelosi found out that the ruling had been overturned, which obviously she knew was coming for at least a month, if not longer, her response was to read a poem. So I didn't listen to the poem. An Israeli poem, nonetheless. I didn't listen to the poem she wrote. I just made an assumption about what it might say. And I believe what I wrote was the following. Roses are red, hibiscus are too. Um, sorry that happened. Here's a link to Act Blue. Ah! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) Incredible. Well, that was, you know, both depressing and chaos version of uplifting. Thank you (laughs) so much to Sean to bring your brilliance. We appreciate you so much coming on and taking the time to chat with us about maybe not the funnest things. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate y'all having me on. And I mean, this is like my career. So I get to always talk about these terribly unfun things. And this is a better place to do it. Aw, thank you. (laughs) Okay, so I think we should also end with a little um, temperature check of if everyone is okay. (laughs) I'll start. Um, No. (laughs) It's a a no from me, dog. Me, lawyer, dog. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, am I ever okay? No. Um, Laura but... started out the most okay. Yeah. But yeah. So I have mean, you declined in okayness? The thing is, nothing can phase me anymore because I've I know we live in a fascist fucking state. I mean, like obviously the shit is so unbelievably fucked, but I'm just like, I do feel really grateful to have. A supportive leftist community like y'all and like other people in my life that help me not lose my goddamn mind. Laura's <laughs> refusing to answer the question. <laughs> Who has a Libra placement now, bitch? <laughs> Ozzy, I'm gonna say, say you're I cancer. Think, it's cancer season. I mean, yeah, absolutely I'm, not. <laughs> I'm absolutely never okay, and I'm particularly unokay now. But I think after this episode, it's like gone back a little bit more. Where I'm like, okay, you know what? that was great to just like chat about everything with y'all and I do feel a little bit better now that we've gotten to hear from a real live lawyer about all of this (laughs) that's true I do feel a little better after the episode just in general I would say not an okay time but listeners we want to hear how you're doing too and you know where you can tell us that information several places one of them is patreon.com slash season of the bitch there you can join our discord where you can actually talk to us the most directly um but you can also tell us on social media at season of the b on instagram twitter you can email us season of the b at gmail.com you can rate or resubscribe on itunes i wouldn't recommend in your review telling us how you feel but you can if you want to as long <laughs> as it involves five stars um, <laughs> That's yes, the rating is for us, not for how you're doing or yeah. how any of us are doing, just to be clear. Yes. But in the review, if you still want to put, I'm not okay, but I love this podcast, that's okay. Sounds good. And yeah. And I think, oh, were you going to ask me? I was just going to say, like, give your money to us and not to Democrats. Yeah. A humble yes. suggestion. That's, give yeah. your money to us, local abortion funds, and that's that. about it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love y'all so much. Love Love you. you. Bye. Bye. Bye.
bitch. <laughs>